Let's pause for prayer. Father, thank you for your abiding and everlasting love for us. The amazing grace that brought the Lord Jesus Christ into our world to go to the cross of Calvary to die for our sins, that by his payment for us, his substitution for our sins, by believing in him, we might have eternal life and not perish. And so, our Father, we pray this morning that you would move our hearts to apply your word. I pray, O oh God, that we might not be cold-hearted towards you, but our hearts might be open toward you. I pray that, as, we, that we, as you present your word to us, that we might welcome it in our lives, in our hearts. I pray, O oh God, that you might find in us people who are faithful and committed and loving towards you, O oh God. And I know, Father, that you intend to do your transforming work in our lives because you are committed to complete what you have begun in us. And so, O oh God, we thank you and praise you. We lift up our hearts to you, and we thank you, O oh God, that you reach down into our lives and love us, each one of us that are in Christ Jesus. For Christ's name, in Christ's name I pray, amen. Amen. So how many of you know the story of the prophet Jonah? You know that, that story? Probably the most popular of all prophets, uh, with a couple of exceptions. Daniel might slide in there somewhere, and perhaps you know of Samuel or Isaiah, but for some reason, Jonah sort of sticks out at us. Jonah, of course, for those of you who might not know, is the story of the great fish. The story whereby a man disobeyed God, got swallowed by a fish, and then obeyed God. It's a tremendous parenting story. <laughs> to be able to say to your children, uh, listen, this is what happens to people who disobey God. And, and I want you to know something about uh, the fact that obeying uh, your parents is what God's will is for your life. If you disobey your parents by virtue of uh, the Word of God, you are disobeying God, and we all know what God does to people who disobey Him, don't we? So let's go down to the lake, shall we? <laughs> you understand why my children are so poorly adjusted. Uh, Jonah is much more than that story. Because Jonah really is the story of a gracious, gracious God. A God of incredible mercy. And, and we, we uh, find that as we study the, the story of Jonah, there are layers like an onion. As you start to unpeel it, you realize there's, there's so much to this story. Uh, four small chapters, but probably ten sermons at least that will condense to one. So what is the, the fundamental story of Jonah that sort of grabs our attention it says in, the, in Jonah, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. The question that, um, in the real story, as we try to understand what is the nature of, uh, what, what is God trying to tell us by this story of a prophet named Jonah, who, by the way, his name is Pigeon in English. 
So what is this story about pigeon that we need to know and understand? And, and the, there's a penetrating question that, that is put forth for us in chapter 4 that the Lord God speaks to Jonah that really is the issue and the central issue of our text. And the question is this, God asked Jonah, have you any right to be angry? God has something to say to us today about cold, angry hearts. Within the community of faith, within the, the gathering of God's people, dwell some of the most angry people on the face of this planet. Have you noticed that? Who should be the, the warmest, the wel most welcoming, the most gracious, the most compassionate, the most merciful? are some of the most angry. And Jonah is set forth for us as the poster child of the angry person of God. And it's to that that we give our attention this morning because the question, have you any right to be angry, is critical. Now, Jonah is invited to do an assignment for the Lord. And uh, it is out of the grace of God, the gracious heart of God, that God gives the prophet the assignment to go to a neighboring country and the capital city of that neighboring country, Nineveh, capital of the Assyrians, and proclaim the grace of God. Perhaps one of the most misunderstood or misapplied of the characteristics or attributes of God is His grace. We all love to throw the term around. In fact, Pastor Kelvin introduced us to it again this morning uh, so well and so importantly. But we love to throw around the idea of the grace of God. And, and we understand that by definition, the grace of God is the undeserved favor of God. The undeserved favor of God. Now, of, um, of all the things that humans value, and there are a number of things... I'll just give a couple of examples. We certainly value justice. We value fairness. We value revenge. We value our own way. We value our own comfort. We value our own type of people. But nowhere in our natural desires is favoring people who don't deserve it one of our values. For the most part, that's a showstopper for us. And Jonah was invited to make a grace transaction, to be the middleman of a, of a love transaction between God and a pagan city. To actually epitomize, in human form, the grace of God, to go to people. And Jonah went in the opposite direction. In fact, if you understand the geography of, the, of this scenario, it's as if he walked out of his house and God says, I want you to go to Nineveh. And Jonah says, no, I'm going to Tarshish. It's like as if, if Nineveh were to turn right, Tarshish is to turn left. Nineveh's in the far east, not so far from Israel. And Tarshish is likely Spain. So he steps out of his door in Joppa and decides to go left when God told him to go right. And so we have this 
we, we try to understand why would the prophet of God do such a thing? And there's, a, uh, there's some uh, help for us in the other minor prophets. Because Jonah says, when God says to him, have you any right to be angry? Jonah basically is saying in his heart, yes, I have every right, right to be angry. I have every right not to like this assignment. In fact, God, I'll be, I'll be willing to, to negotiate this assignment when the, uh, the Assyrians apologize for laying Israelites on their fields and plowing over them with their threshing forks. A couple of weeks from now, Pastor Calvin is going to deliver a sermon in the book of Nahum. Nahum is a whole discussion on the reality of Nineveh and not to move into any territory that he might want to go. But you need to hear something about Nineveh in Nahum chapter 3. Woe to the city of blood full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims. The crack of whips, the clatter of heels, wheels, galloping horses and jolting chariots, charging cavalry, flashing swords, and glittering spears, many casualties, piles of dead, bodies without number, people stumbling over the corpses, all because of the wanton lust of a harlot, alluring, the mistress of sorceries, who enslaved nations by her prostitution and peoples by her witchcraft. Jonah, I'd like you to preach to that group. I'm not going. I'm not going. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran in the opposite direction from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. Was he afraid? Was he lazy? Did he have other things to do? No, God says he was angry. And maybe when we read that text and realize what the Assyrians had done to the Israelites, we can understand just a little bit of why Jonah hated his assignment. Because he hated the Assyrians. And that's the quick look at the text. And we could, we could go home now and realize, okay, well, that's, that's what happened there. And, and God uh, brought an object lesson to Jonah's life and, and uh, helped him to see the error of his ways. And he obeyed and went and preached. And that's all good. But... See, the problem with Jonah is it wasn't just about the Ninevites. Jonah had a problem with God. And of all the prophets that we encounter, and we may not want to admit this to ourselves, but Jonah seems to represent best what is often truth about our own hearts. Regularly, we find ourselves at odds with God because of our own heart and our own heart condition. And so the reason Jonah was struggling to be gracious is because he was struggling to really identify with the heart of God. I want to take you through three sections here this morning. And from those sections, I want to talk about three reasons why we do not have any right to be angry at God. Now, I suspect in our group here this morning that there are a lot of you who are 
struggling with past situations that were inexplicable to you, great struggles you've had in your lives, assignments that God has given to you or withheld from you, that have served to develop some calluses within your heart toward God. Oh, you aren't so quick to admit it, but God knows exactly what's going on in our hearts. And I want to um, point out to you that when God taps you or I on the shoulder for a mission, we are the mission, usually. I want, to know, I want you to notice a few things here. Um, Jonah was running from the presence of God. The Lord sends a great wind and the sea and a violent storm arises. The ship is threatened to break up and all the sailors are afraid and each cried out to his own God. Here he is, this man of God, the prophet of God, um, in a situation with people who don't know his God. What catches my attention, first of all, is that the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Uh, that in itself is a statement of incredible grace. We, we come in here and we've grown up in this country and we walk into this church and, and we take for granted that the word of God is going to be available to us anytime we want. We can show up any Sunday to a church and the word, is God, word of God is going to be available to us. But in Throughout history, that's not always been the case. And in the case of the prophet Amos, which we covered a few weeks ago, there's a section there in Amos chapter 8 whereby it says there's a famine coming. And when we think of famine, of course, we think of food deprivation. But this famine is not about food deprivation, but it's the famine of the Word of God. And it says in the text there that people will be roaming throughout to and fro, looking for the Word of God, men and women, searching for a word from God, but it won't be available to them. Uh, the truth of the matter is we are incredibly blessed and, and, and favored by God, not because we deserve it. Uh, most of us born in this country, we didn't deserve to be born in this country. We just were. Here we are, freely over all of our lives, granted the word of the Lord, and we take it so for granted that the word of the Lord came to Jonah in light of the state of his heart is an incredible act of grace. For some of you in here this morning, you have hardened toward God and you've been, you've been rejecting him and turning from him. When he said to turn right, you've been turning left on a regular basis. It is another moment of God's incredible grace that he would speak to you this morning through his word. So the word of the Lord comes to Jonah. And by the way, this, uh, this assignment wasn't his first rodeo with God. I mean, if you look back, uh, he was a compatriot with many of these other prophets that we've just talked about at the time of Jeroboam, King Jeroboam II. We've talked about him. We know about him. 2 Kings chapter 14. Speaking of King Jeroboam, it says in verse 25, he was one who restored the boundaries of Israel that had been captured by their enemies. From Lebo Hamath to the Sea of Arabah, which is Dead Sea, in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through his servant Jonah, son of Amittai, our guy, our fish guy, the prophet from Gath-Hefer. He, um, 
he was quite willing to step forward to an assignment to go and, and expand the boundaries of Israel. Yeah, this is a church growth sermon. I'm all about that. Let's talk to God's people about God wanting to expand our territory. Count me in, God. I want to be that preacher. But when it came time to go to a neighboring country of enemies, I'm not your guy. Beloved, um, you and I are God's concern and not just, God, not just his mission agents. Look, look closely here. Why would Jonah be running away from the mission? He was running away from the mission because he was actually running away from God, from the very presence of God. That's what he was hoping for. And, and when your heart is running cold toward God, being invited to be closer to the fire is, seems to be unappealing. And the real issue here in this statement, arise and go, and, and, and Jonah takes off in the other direction. The, the struggle that we, that we have to come to terms with is, why would Jonah be like that? Why, why is his heart so cold toward God? What has happened? Maybe a, a bit of an insight hop, happens as we find our way down to verses 8 through 10. See, when God's word comes to us with God's mission attached to it, it always forces us to face our own identity. The first thing that these guys asked, uh, of course, they, they cast lots in verse 7 to find out who was responsible for the calamity, and surprise, surprise, the lot falls on Jonah. And so they, and I'm paraphrasing here, they basically go and wake him up. He's asleep while the storm is going because he doesn't care whether he lives or dies. He just doesn't want this assignment. And they go and wake him up and, and the first question they ask him is this, Jonah, who are you? Who are you? And here's how he answers the question. Verse 9, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. I, Jonah, I'm a, I'm a man of God. I, I, I'm a representative of the living God, the creator of heaven and earth. He is my Lord and my Savior. I worship him. I bow to his will. Say what? Because in brackets it says he had already told them that he was running from God. The, um, the tragic condition of so many people who are running from the message of God is that they know the Word of God really well. They know the gospel. They're able to, to identify themselves. If someone asks them a question like, 
in, in the workplace, you know, you, there's a discussion going on about the gospel or about Jesus Christ. And these kind of people, they can, they can butt in. They can say, hey, wait a second. I know about Jesus Christ. Let me tell you about Jesus Christ. He came and he lived among us a perfect sinless life. He's a living son of God. He went to a cross to die for our sins. And, and, and that if we believe in him, we'd have eternal life. And, and, and he went into the grave and he rose again on the third day. And they're, they're able to trumpet the gospel. But everybody around them saying, what are you... Say what? Somehow, methinks the words you say and the life you live don't match. Jonah was uh, confronted here with his identity. We always are. It's an, always an identity confrontation when the word of God comes to us. Who are you? God asks the question, who are you? Are you really a servant of the living God or are you just playing games with me? Do I really have your heart, your whole heart? Because you can talk a really good game. When I give you an assignment to go and talk about church expansion, you're really good at it. But when I tell you to go and do a, 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 trans, a love transaction to your enemies, bringing the grace of God, you're not ready to bring that assignment. If you are living in denial about yourself... You are hardly in a position to live in denial of yourself. And discipleship defined by Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 16 is to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Jonah, you're not there, dude. You're still living in denial about the real state of your heart. This assignment to go to Nineveh, there were, by the way, there were a lot of prophets around. Jonah isn't the only prophet God had at his disposal. This assignment was a mission to Jonah as much as it was a mission to Nineveh. You and I must face the fact that we've been, what we've been denying about ourselves before we can ever embark upon a transformational mission of denying ourselves. So who are you? When, when God's word comes to you Sunday by Sunday, and, and you walk out of here, and there's a decision to be made about the hard teachings of Christ, and you decide to turn left when he is calling you to turn right, there's an identity problem here. And a ministry problem And if you are playing around with God, who you are really supposed to be, siphoning off his blessings like some sort of buffet, but embarrassing the living God in how you're living, because what you're saying doesn't match what you're living, then you are a target of God's concern. And it can get very painful as Jonah was about to find out. So he says to them, when they ask, well, what should we do with you? And he says to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Just dump me into the Mediterranean. So they decide, because he says it's my fault, so they decide to try and save themselves and keep rowing toward the land because they had missed out on part of the gospel message that Jonah had shared with them that 
God is not only the God of the sea, but he's also the God of the land. And they're not getting to the land if God doesn't want them to get to the land. So, um, they dump him in the sea. Now, whether um, a lot of commentators are suggesting there was this great conversion in the ship to God, and that might very well be true because it says in verse 16, they greatly feared the Lord and they offered sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him and all that kind of stuff. It just seems to me is kind of a lame repentance when they said to the Lord, by the way, we don't want to take responsibility for his death. This is your fault as they dumped him in the sea. And then it says, the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Why, beloved, do you and I have no reason to be angry with God? Because we are huge, huge debtors to God's grace. Yet he deserves far better than our coldness and clinging to worthless idols and our contempt. Have we considered that every day of our lives, every breath we breathe, we are in the crosshairs of God's grace? Nothing that we have is deserved. The, the one thing that really is, stands out in this story uh, remarkably, I think, is that that and becomes abundantly, abundantly clear that no matter what happens in life, uh, no matter um, whether, uh, whether anything good at all happens in our life or any rescue from God that we can anticipate in a tough sa- situation or from a tough situation, it is solely, only, completely, undoubtedly, undeniably, unmistakably, categorically because of the Lord. And while Jonah is now thrown into this, this fish, is swallowed by this fish, and finds himself inside the fish in chapter 2, we have a whole new appreciation of the incredible grace of God. Now, I suppose many of you are hoping that this moment that I will pause and spend the next 20 minutes pontificating about how, in fact, a fish could swallow a human being and that human being could live in the fish and then be vomited up into the land and, and, and he would live. And I'm going to spend virtually no time on that. You know why? You know why? Seriously. I mean, it's, it's, it's great. It's incredible. It's awesome. But truthfully, if we serve a God who can raise Jesus Christ from the dead and who can speak the universe into existence... Is it too hard for him to put flesh on a submarine and have it come and swallow a man and put him on the land? Is it too hard for us to believe that? Is that a stretch for us at all? Does that have, is that any problem? In fact, I want you to know that if, you, uh, if God decides that, that you are stepping out of line and he wants to swallow you by a fish, he could swallow you while you're on the land with a fish. You don't have to go out on the sea. 
So here we have these guys rowing exhaustively, trying to get to the land and not making it. And they throw Jonah in the sea, and God provides a great fish to swallow him. And Jonah's in the, the belly of the fish, uh, you know, in the, from the bowels of the fish, he prays. It's, it's like as if he's in the center of a red lobster after a food fight. And there he is, and he's speaking out to God. And, and he talks these two really intelligent statements and says, those, in verse 8, who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. The undeserved favor. Just like the Ninevites, clinging to worthless idols, don't they deserve the grace? Don't, don't, they, don't they deserve the message of God? Wouldn't it be appropriate, Jonah, to take that message to them? And what about you, Jonah? Clinging to your self-driven feelings. And then he say, states, but I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. Beloved, there's two really key points to know here. That nobody can save themselves. Jonah couldn't save himself. These guys couldn't row to the land on their own. Nobody can save themselves. Salvation comes from the Lord. In, in verse 4 of 1, God sent a great wind. In verse 15, God brought calm to the sea. In, great, in verse 17, God provided a great fish. In 4 verse 6, God provided a shady vine. In 4 verse 7, God provided a hungry worm. In 4 verse 8, God provided a scorching east wind and blazing sun. God, God, God is the one who provides by his grace. While Jonah is running away cold-hearted toward God, God is stirring up a gracious commotion and keeping him from ultimate calamity. While Jonah is running or is clinging to his worthless idols, his, his, um, his self-driven uh, desire for his own comfort, his personal God of the moment... Our God and his God is graciously plotting his rescue. While Jonah is pouting at the end of this story on a balcony seat overlooking the city of Nineveh, hoping that God would not be gracious to them, but that he would nuke that city, all the while he's describing God as gracious and compassionate for two, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. All the while he sits in his balcony seat, Basking in the grace of God's compassion and abounding in love and slow to anger for his sake. He didn't seem to realize that every critical breath he was breathing while he was holding God in contempt, he was benefiting from through the grace of God to him. Not because he deserved it. Did Jonah deserve the grace of God while he sat over Nineveh hoping they would be destroyed? Jonah proclaimed the gospel by grace, not of works, not of good or bad behavior, not of heritage, not of nationality, not from himself at all or us, but from the Lord. There's a final uh, reason that I note in this text of why 
we should not be angry with God. First of all, we are not angry with God because He's interested in our transformation and chooses us as His mission. We should not be angry with God because He is incredibly gracious and has showered upon us grace upon grace upon grace. So many of us would like to say, so Jonah had a salvation experience or a rededication of his life or whatever you want to call it. Something changed when he was inside that fish. That's what we want to believe until we get to chapter 4. And then quite frankly, we realize nothing has changed. Nothing's changed. In um, chapters 3 and 4, the word of the Lord comes to Jonah a second time. Stop there. Jonah, give your head a shake. God's given you another opportunity. Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, God graciously speaks again. Go to Nineveh. So Jonah obeyed. We're like, okay, roll the credits now. Bring up the music. Let's have a group hug, high five each other, and let's go home. That's great news. Everything's turning out wonderful. And Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. Listen, the, the walls alone of Nineveh were reported to be 100 feet high that surrounded the city. It is reported that three chariots could ride abreast at the top of the walls of Nineveh. This was a fortress. This was a megalith. This was unbelievable. It said it would, it, it would take three days to, to, to cover the city. And Jonah comes and he preaches a sermon of eight words. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overturned. And then we read this. The Ninevites believed God. That's the formula of saving faith. That's the same statement that came out of Genesis 15, verse 6. When Abraham was confronted by the living God and was promised that he would be a great nation, and it says in the text, Abraham believed God, and it was Credited to him as righteousness. The Ninevites, the same formula of faith, they believed God. God had, God's word had been declared and they believed it. To the shame of Jonah, the prophet of God, who wasn't listening to God. Because he didn't like the message. Now, if you're a Ninevite and the only sermon you hear is 40 more days and you're going to be destroyed, how's that on your sensitivities toward God? Nineveh's pouting over his poor life while the Ninevites are believing God. And it states here that they, um, the king declared that um, they should 
turn from their wicked ways and should have a fast. It says there that even the animals weren't allowed to eat. Our own Matthew Jones is quite interested in how did they get the animals to fast? How do you do that? When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. A characteristic that seems to be very foreign to Jonah. Third is this, what I see in this text. That God is as concerned about the misery of the lost as he is angry at their evil. And praise the Lord for that. Because if God were to have only punished us for our sins, we would be a sorry lot. But God sees us through his eyes of mercy and compassion. That's why we, we, when we are standing in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene, we wonder how he could love us, sinners, condemned, unclean. How marvelous, how wonderful is our amazing God's grace to us. I didn't complete the statement of Jonah's other sermon recorded in the scriptures or why he record why the sermon was delivered but back in 2 Kings chapter 14 the reason that Jonah was sent to King Jeroboam II to proclaim the word of God that their borders might be expanded is this the Lord had seen how bitterly everyone in Israel, whether slave or free, was suffering, and there was no one to help them. That's the heart of our God. He looks at our lowly estate with a heart of compassion. God is mobilized first by your misery, and then those you can touch by his grace. Praise God for that. So, so we're ready to say, okay, so it's okay now. Jonah's got it all together. He's fine with God, right? Because he's been called to be a trafficker of God's grace, and he stepped up in obedience, and, and everything's going to be okay. No, no, clearly that's not okay, because it says here, but Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. Jonah. Jonah stands in for the problem of God's people, perhaps like no other prophet. You and I will never, ever benefit from being a middleman of God's grace transactions until our obedience comes from brokenness and not just fear of discipline or cultural pressure or family pressure. You know what I see in the church of Jesus Christ? I see people who are reluctantly obedient. Who understand the things that they're supposed to do because the word of God comes to them. 
And they toe the line of obedience as best they can, but there's resentment in their hearts. There's anger toward God at, at that he's required of them or asked them to do this. This is too hard for me, but I'm doing it because there's cultural pressure on me, because there's family pressure on me to obey and to conform. And that's Jonah. Jonah was doing what he felt like he had to do, but he was miserable doing it for one reason and one reason alone. He was willing to pay attention to the Word of God, but he didn't love the God of the Word. Didn't love Him. He was obeying Him, but he didn't love Him. God has singled out Jonah as a project of his grace. Jonah, why are you angry with me? Have you any right to be angry with me? And Jonah gives him a list. Yeah, I'll give you the list. You didn't give me that promotion. You took that away from me. You took that person out of my life. You haven't been nice to me here. You're asking me to do something that's too hard for me. I've got a huge list of why I'm angry at you. But I'll obey you because I don't want to go in a fish again. There are a lot of people that we have raised up in our churches who are obeying God by contract and holding contempt in their hearts toward God. And until and unless we come to God with a brokenness of heart, we will never ever be able to really bring the heart of God to anyone else. You will never really become a trafficker of God's love while you yourself remain addicted to your own comfort, your own feelings, the way you want things to be. You see, Jonah went out and sat in that balcony seat, pouting, hoping against hope that his message of discipline and judgment would fall on Nineveh. He was never counting on them repenting. And so as he sat there, God cared about the fact that he was boiling hot and caused a vine to grow up and bring shade over him. So it says. And so he enjoyed the shade. He enjoyed again another grace moment of God for his own personal comfort. And then it says that God sent a worm to eat the roots of that vine so that the vine withered and died, and now he's out in the heat again. And now he says, I'm so angry, I want to die. God, you're not looking after me again. And God says to him at the very end, Jonah, do you not care? That there are 120,000 people who don't know their right hand from their left hand in terms of spiritual things, in terms of God things, and many cattle too, and all you care about is your own personal comfort and a vine that grew up over you that you had nothing to do with. And the story ends. What? That's not a roll credit moment. That's not bring up the sound, bring up the music. That's, that's not a group hug moment. That's not a high five moment. That's the tragic story of too many of God's servants who remain angry with God because they idolize their own personal comforts. 
and are not broken before God, denying themselves. Obedience without repentance. I don't think, I, I don't think Jonah really repented. Repentance means I've turned from myself to a living God. He knew the right lingo, but his heart was still cold. He had changed his mind about dying, but he had not changed his mind about dying to self. He had turned to God for himself, not from himself. I wonder how many in here this morning have repeatedly been offered the grace of God through his word and you have continued to turn left when he told you to turn right and you're living in contempt of God with great anger and bitterness in your heart. Oh God, you didn't do this. Oh God, you made it too hard here. Oh God, oh God, oh God, I'm angry with you. And God gently brings you to himself and continues to graciously reach out to you as he is this morning and offering you a different heart and a different way. Won't you take it? Won't you finally, finally take it? Father, I pray this morning with thanksgiving in my heart for your incredible grace to us. We do not deserve to be sitting in your presence, hearing your kindness and compassion and offer to us of better hearts. But nevertheless, you offer and you reach out. And over and over again to Jonah, to us, you send out messages of grace and invite us to have your heart instead of our cold, stony one. To experience your grace and the deepness of your grace instead of our small clinging to the worthless idols of our own personal comfort. Oh God, forgive us and help us to say yes, yes, Lord. I want to know what it is to finally face the truth of my identity where my words and my actions are not matching and come to you with brokenness of life to be your willing servant who speaks for you and obeys you out of love and not obligation. Oh, Jesus. We pray, amen. So beloved, what's the lasting picture that we should consider when we think of the Jonah story? It appears that Jonah was fighting against the way God was. There were certain things he just didn't like about God, what he asked him to do. You're too hard, this is too difficult. 
Beloved, the living God is a package deal. He is who he is in totality. You take him as he is. He is full of grace and abounding in love, and kindness and compassion. I, I wonder how many of us have Sunday by Sunday heard the word of God and said, I don't like that certain thing about God. It makes me angry. I wish I could just have this. And so Sunday by Sunday, you go out and God is speaking to your heart about something and instead of turning right, you turn left another Sunday. And live in constant rage against God, in contempt. Let go of that. God wants more for you than that. God wants to set you free from your anger toward God. Uh, he is a very persuasive God and has at his disposal all of the things of the universe. So why not just give in to the grace of God in your life? Maybe you've been resisting him for salvation. He's been talking to you, calling to you, inviting you, and you continue to turn in the opposite direction. Don't resist his grace another day. Run to him. And run to him from your anger so that he can set you free. We'll be here at the front to pray with you right after the service. Father, I thank you for your word to us. I thank you for your huge heart, your grace, your compassion, your mercy, oh God. It's new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. We are faithless, merciless, graceless, angry. And thank you, oh God, for your grace that doesn't leave us there. Thank you that we are your mission. And I pray, O oh God, that we might not resist the work of the Holy Spirit this day. For Jesus' sake, amen.